It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. When things break down or don't go as planned, we can find ourselves struggling to survive. Finding the resilience to keep moving forward can be a daily challenge. Today's guest, Mark Nepo, joins us to talk about how we can meet adversity by using the timeless teachings of the heart. Mark is a poet and philosopher and a number one New York Times bestselling author. He has appeared several times on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, and he was named one of the 100 most spiritually influential living people by Watkins Mind, Body, Spirit. He was also chosen as one of own Super Soul 100. Mark's new book is Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. Welcome, Mark. It is so wonderful having you back on the show. Thank you for joining us. Oh, for sure. It's great to be back with you. Thank you for having me. So, Mark, this book that you've written about adversity, it it really couldn't have come at a better time. And you wrote in the opening of your book, we live in a turbulent time. And like every generation before us, we must learn the art of surviving storms so we can endure and build a better world. From your perspective, what do you think we must endure as a society? Well, I think with every society, and I think that's what one of the things I learned by looking into all this. And of course, I, I started this book before the pandemic and then fell into, oh, my goodness, look what this is about. <laughs> and, but I, I think that every generation and every life and every family and has its turn. Are we going to choose love over fear? Are we going to choose working together over self-interest? And there's, you know, in my parents' generation, the challenge was World War II. You know, for us right now, it was the pan- is, was and is the pandemic. And so the details are different, but history isn't a climb up a mountain. We're, we're all the same distance from heaven and the gutter. And, and how are we going to help each other? How are we going to love each other forward? So I, I think that we're, we're challenged here. And I think that the pandemic, which was, was and continues to be so challenging made humanity stop you know in the in the jewish tradition the word sabbath means the one day we don't turn one thing into another and i feel like the pandemic forced humanity into a global sabbath there's nowhere to go you can't dream scheme escape run build we just we're kind of forced to be with the truth and miracle of what is. I think it caused a lot of people, Mark, to reflect on the way they had been living their lives. And you had just mentioned World War II and and our parents' generation. Do you think it was a little bit different for us, speaking about fear, because of the way we received communication? Back then, it was very limited in the information that you received. We were bombarded with it daily 
in every direction from every medium. Do you think that played into the, the way we were feeling and, and why we're struggling so much? I, I do. I think that, you know, one of the, the gifts of technology is, and, and, you know, for me, the example goes all the way back to 9-11. You know, my wife Susan and I were happened to be traveling in Montreal at the time and literally were packing to go home in a hotel when we saw live on TV, the planes go into the towers. And of course, with modern technology, that image has been played thousands of times. And, you know, that's wonderful for a thousand different people to see at once. It's not healthy for you or me to see it a thousand times. So one of the things that we have to do to compensate for the inundation of progress is we need to develop all of us spiritual aerobic where we, you know, where I watch, I need to see it once, whatever it is, where it touches my heart. And then I have to internalize it. Then I have to go to you as a friend and be in conversation about it. But we need to resist being desensitized and hypnotized by seeing these things over and over and over again. So that's one thing and and of course the the insulated individualized bubble that everyone finds themselves in with social media today it all removes us from being and and I think this is every generation but it's particularly acute in ours we've been removed from our direct connection to life if you and I have a direct connection to life we have a reverence for life and if you have a reverence for life, you can't do harm. One of the things that so stunned me and so many others in the January 6th, now famous insurrection, and I happen to see that like so many people live on TV, is forget the politics of it. I was watching people be barbarically violent while taking pictures of themselves. They were totally dissociated. Like, is this a video game or is this reality? So how do we, and all the spiritual traditions offer us ways to restore our direct connection of life so we can refine our reverence of life and not do harm. And you know, Mark, what people don't realize, I recently interviewed an expert who studies the science of hate. And one of the interesting things he told mm. me was that social media, you know, the algorithms are designed for the negative because that's what makes money. That's what sells. And we need to be aware of that. Like you're saying, there's something that's rising in people that we need to become aware of so that we can heal from it. Absolutely. And I think also, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning of the book, I was just trying in that beginning to take my guess at how we, how did we get here? And, and some of these fault lines go back hundreds of years. But, you know, this whole, in the last 70 years, the reality TV culture, which is based on anything other than what's real, mm -hmm. really kind of also divorces us from what's real. You know, we say, and I'm not picking on any particular shows, but they induce us into being voyeurs and they make us think, and I don't think it's intentional, but they make us think that we're in relationship. You know, I can even vote, you know, but then when I turn the TV off, I don't have a relationship for expending all that energy. I'm mm -hmm. still alone. And so 
you know, in, in Roman times, I use this, this image in the book, you know, the Roman Colosseum, which was designed deliberately to dissipate rebellious energy of the masses. They said, let's give them entertainment, let's watch them lions kill people and gladiators hurt each other. And then when they went home, the ordinary people didn't have any energy left to demand a better life. Now, I don't think today that this was designed, but inadvertently, uh, reality TV, social media, these are our virtual coliseum today. It dissipates our energy for true relationship and true connection. Because when you're in conversation with someone and you're speaking face-to-face, you can see the look in someone's eyes. You can see their facial expressions if you said something hurtful. But when you're behind that screen and you're on a phone or a computer, you can write the meanest thing and hit send and just walk away and not have any connection with that person. And I think that we really need to start to pull back from that. One of the things I started doing, if someone sends me a text, rather than quickly text back, I'll call that person and respond just because I want oh, to wonderful. hear their voice. Well, I think that one of the things that, that's so important is having the time to reflect before responding. And this is something that the modern, the quickness, the speed of our age has taken away from us. Like you're saying, people respond and we react instantaneously without first seeing, what does this mean? How do we feel? You know, I, I stumbled on this amazing thing that, you know, you, for example, you go back when Lincoln was elected the second time and he gave his inaugural address, which was handwritten. And that was a very short one, though it's very, very well known. It was copied, handwritten, several copies. And the way it was shared is it was sent out by Pony Express across the country. So if you lived in California, two weeks later, after he gave the speech, you read it. So there was built, so even whatever reaction you had, there was built in reflection time. And again, this is something that now you know, we have to compensate, you know, physically, right? Because of progress, which I don't want to give it up. You know, we don't have to cut wood. We have electricity. We, you know, so now we physically have to do physical aerobics. We have to do yoga or jog or walk or go to the gym to make up for the loss of physical activity. Well, we're being asked now to do emotional and spiritual aerobics. What practices compensate for the loss that comes? There's good things, obviously, about technology, but there's a cost to us in our basic human nature. Mark, you say that when things break down, there are three questions we should ask ourselves. What are these three questions, and why are they such a key to being resilient? Well, I think that... and. And what I stumbled on was the three questions are when something breaks down, either in society, in a family, or inside oneself. But, you know, the questions are what needs to be repaired? What needs to be reimagined now that it's broken? And finally, now that something's broken, what needs to be left dismantled? Like what maybe shouldn't have been put together in the first place? Societally, we can look at, you know, structural racism, you know, kind of 
the original sin of democracy. Um, what that should have never been put together in the first place. So how do we not put it back together when we see things are broken? But I find that these questions have been very helpful to me, even personally. How, how do we move forward? And so I invite anyone who's listening to us, you know, what in your own life, what needs to be repaired? What needs to be reimagined? And what needs, now that it's finally broken, to be left alone? What patterns did you grow up with that, uh, thank God, they're finally broken? Mark, do you think the last question is where most people get stuck because we have a difficult time letting go of something that's familiar? Oh, absolutely. And, and this is not just in our time. You know, let me quickly share a story that goes all the way back to the life of Buddha that really speaks about this. And um, Buddha was, he, he walked everywhere and there wasn't CNN, so it wasn't covered a lot. <laughs> and he, um, but he was going to a village and he, he, he crawled, there came a big river and it was too deep and swift to wade across or swim. So he took a day and he built a raft out of reeds and branches. And sure enough, it held him. So he crossed the river, and then he put he carried the raft on his back for a while. And after a couple of hours, he realized he didn't smell water anymore, and there was no more rivers to cross. So he said, wait a minute, why am I carrying this raft on my back if there's no more rivers to cross? And this is the beauty of, of Buddha and the Buddha story, is he didn't just discard it. He spent the night, he built a fire, and he did a ritual where he thanked the raft and he burned it. And he said, I'd rather burn you in reverence than carry you on my back in resentment. And what, the, yeah, what this brings us to is the word sacrifice. And we've seen a lot of sacrifice through the pandemic, especially the, the, the courage and care of healthcare workers. But that word comes from a deeper soil. The original definition of sacrifice means to give up what no longer works in order to stay close to what is sacred. So that's where that third question for all of us is, what's no longer working for you? And how? And, and we, we, we're, it's dear to us. It has helped us. But now because we've grown, because things have changed, we need to put it down so we can stay close to what it means to be alive. And, and develop new practices and new things to work with. Mark, there's something else that you write about, and it's called maturing compassion. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that, um, you know, one of the ways that, that we apprentice in compassion, and it never ends, is that by what we have in common with other people. You know, like we meet, and I discover after a while, you know, my heart's been broken at one time, and and while we're friends, your heart gets broken. So now we have something in common and my heart goes out to you. Or, you know, I, I see you and you, you tweak your back and, oh, I know what that's like. So I reach out to you. But I've learned over time that that's an apprenticeship, that the maturing of compassion, in addition to that, is how does my heart go out to people and experiences that I have nothing in common with? And the first time that I really experienced this was years ago. I was going, to, I was in a restaurant bar with friends and family, and I, and I went back to the bar to get more drinks for people we were with. And there was a, 
a vet in a booth and he was by himself and he was really agitated. And it turned out that he was a vet from Iraq. And I, I wound up in conversation with him. And before I knew it, we were sitting there and I said to him, you know, gee, I, I have no idea what you've been through. And he slammed his fist on the table and said, you have no idea. You can't know. And I said, and I took his hand and I said, you're right, but I'm here. And that was the first time in real time where I found myself listening to, to the pain and suffering of someone that I had no experience of what he went through. And yet still, I felt like all the ways that my heart had open to other people was an apprenticeship. So I could also be open to people that are totally different than me and their experience is different. Does being compassionate require selflessness? Can you set boundaries and still show compassion? And and here's an example of this. I, I know someone who has a friend who hasn't been particularly kind to her, but now this friend is going through some difficult times. And my friend feels sorry for her. She prays for her. She doesn't wish anything bad to happen to her. But because she's not being there for her 24 hours a day, she's feeling guilty about that. So can you show compassion and still set boundaries for yourself? Uh, Absolutely. And I think this is also part of the maturing of compassion is compassion doesn't mean to me uh, giving up being selfless. It means that I will give my heart and demand more authenticity from both of us. So I can be compassionate to that person, but I need to go in and say, look, I'm here for you, but you got to show up too. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do that, then maybe this isn't going to work, but it can't be the way it was before. Because right. every time we go through something, it demands each party to be involved. And, and another way that I think it's important is, you know, like I have a friend who is, Uh, suffers from depression. And I'm there for that person. Now, we all have our stuff. For me, it's I'm not depressed. I have other stuff. Mm -hmm. But but in order to be there for that person, I need to always reaffirm my own direct connection with life. Like I one of the things we all struggle with is when we're sensitive, we we tend to become the suffering of those we love. And how do we, and it's hard, but what the practice I have found is, how do I stay open but not lose myself? So what I do every time I'm with that person, afterwards, I take a walk out in the light. And I, re- and I remind myself, thankfully, I'm not depressed. And the light on my face, this is my direct experience of life. And then I, it's kind of like uh, recharging myself or plugging in your phone at night, Mm -hmm. then I have more energy to be myself and go back and be with others. So I think we're, we're challenged to have what I call porous boundaries where, where, you know, often we either find we give ourselves away and we go, Whoa, ah, that's too much. And then we go the other way and we build a wall and say, well, I'm not doing that again. And I think we're all challenged to love and not lose ourselves. 
And I think that's really an important point, Mark, because most of us fall into this category because we think that if we're not giving ourselves to another person completely and ending up losing ourselves in that process, that we're being a bad person. In fact, I think it's, you know, it's also, this is a third point in this very important, you know, topic we're exploring is we, I think we have to be honest about our limitations. You know, we have a myth in our culture that if, whether we're romantic or family or friends, that if, you know, if I love you, then I'm going to, you know, I will be there and be able to give everything you ever need. Well, I'd like to do that, but I'm human and I can't do that. And so more realistically and healthfully, like just imagine if you were not, this is a good example to just concretize it. If you and I were carrying an old refrigerator out, out of the house, I, and you say, have you got your end? And I go, oh yeah, don't worry about it. Well, I've got to be honest with you because if I can't carry that end, I could hurt you mm-hmm. by dropping it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, emotionally it's important to say, I want to be here for you, but I can't right now. Is there a friend you can call? Like we're, we need to help each other. It's more than just, you know, like that old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a village to get through life. And, and that means being honest with each other about what we can and can't. It doesn't mean I don't love you, but if I really love you and I can't, carry that part of whatever it is, then maybe I help you find someone else who can do it until I'm strong enough to pick it up again. The book is Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. If you'd like to get more information about Mark and his work, you can visit marknepo.com. Mark, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? Well, the takeaway is, for me, is not takeaway, but give. Give, give, give. You know, when I think when my mind reaches a stalemate or I get confused, I found if I give, my mind clears and I find a way through. So a small one stanza poem I can leave, leave with our listeners is, the mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need hidden in their trouble. Mark, thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to the next time you'll come back on the show. Oh, me too. Thanks so much, Joe. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.